0: J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards.
1: Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Is the top cop just playing good cop, bad cop? The lead starts right now. Breaking today after the Attorney General said he will not be bullied into doing President Trump's bidding or anyone's bidding. Bill Barr makes a move that suggests perhaps the exact opposite. Is this all being done with a wink and a nod to please the President? He's popping up on TVs and all over Instagram, but with new momentum for former New York City Mayor Mike Bloomberg comes new criticism from his fellow candidates. Plus, It's deadly, it's unknown, and it's up to communist China to be honest about the danger. But now a truth seeker has gone missing as the U.S. sees the number of coronavirus cases jump. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper. We begin today with the politics lead. And today, new serious questions about the independence at the Justice Department and Attorney General Bill Barr. Despite Barr's public show of frustration last night telling ABC News that President Trump's tweets about Justice Department matters make his job harder, a protest that critics say is rooted not in Barr's desire for independence, but in his desire for the illusion of independence, as even some supporters of the president on his favorite channel seem to suggest.
2: And The media sees the
3: sexy story of Trump versus Barr, but they miss the fact that Barr was basically telling uh,
1: Trump, don't worry, I got this. I got this. That's because when you look at Attorney General Barr's actions, he largely seems to do what President Trump would want him to do. This afternoon, U.S. officials told CNN that Barr is ordering a reexamination of high-profile cases, bringing in a U.S. attorney to take a second look at them. These include the case of retired General Mike Flynn, former Trump National Security Advisor. Flynn, you might recall, pleaded guilty in 2017 to lying to the FBI. He is currently awaiting sentencing. New scrutiny of the case would certainly please President Trump, who three days ago asked about the sentencing of a different felonious friend, Roger Stone, said this.
4: They ought to be ashamed of themselves, what they've done to General Flynn, what they've done to others.
1: President Trump also openly congratulating Barr this week for taking charge of the case involving Stone by undercutting the Justice Department's own prosecutors and recommending far less prison time for Stone than initially suggested. It is interesting how often in the president's worldview the prosecutors seem to be the bad guys and the criminals are the good guys. Case in point, today the Justice Department dropped its criminal investigation of former FBI Deputy Director Andrew McCabe, a Trump nemesis. Now, theoretically, one might see this as a sign of Bill Barr's independence, but a Trump transition team official told CNN he sees it differently because he says... McCabe should have been cleared of this long ago. So why the delay?
0: There's no question. This timing is suspicious that it comes right after the finalization of impeachment. And the fact that this was a helping talking point, a useful talking point to Trump, that no, 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 it was a witch hunt. This fed into his witch hunt.
1: We should note that McCabe is a CNN contributor. This pattern has Democrats, such as House Intelligence Committee Chairman Adam Schiff, saying, quote, bar fools no one. He's a witting accomplice to Trump's attack on the rule of law. As CNN's Boris Sanchez reports, however, President Trump today is insisting that while he has not yet done it, he has every right to intervene in Justice Department matters.
5: Thank you, Mr. Fresh off a denial he can be influenced by the president, Attorney General William Barr facing new scrutiny today after sources say he secretly ordered a re-examination of Michael Flynn's case, seeking no jail time for Trump's former national security advisor who pleaded guilty to lying to the FBI
6: about his ties to Russia. The president has never asked me to do anything in a criminal case. I cannot do my job here at the department uh, with a constant background commentary that, that undercuts me.
5: Trump today throwing Barr's words back at him, claiming he does have the right to intervene in DOJ investigations, tweeting, quote, this doesn't mean that I do not have, as president, the legal right to do so. I do, but I have so far chosen not to. While sources say Barr has voiced his frustrations to Trump in private multiple times, officials telling CNN Trump did not know Barr would go public. Press Secretary Stephanie Grisham now insisting Trump wasn't bothered by Barr's comments, as Trump's Republican allies say the president should listen.
6: I have confidence in Bill Barr. I think he's doing a good job, and I think he's told the president this isn't not helpful, making it difficult for him to do his job. I think the president will listen to him.
5: Meantime, Trump eagerly awaiting findings from another investigation launched by Bill Barr into the U.S. intelligence agency's handling of Russian meddling in the
4: 2016 election. I have uh, President Putin. Uh, he just said it's not Russia. I will say this. I don't see any reason why it would be. Despite
5: a consensus among the entire intelligence community that Vladimir Putin launched a covert effort to undermine the 2016 election, the New York Times reporting today special investigator John Durham is looking into unfounded deep state conspiracy theories touted by Trump and some of his allies that U.S. intelligence agencies framed Russia. Sources say Durham is even investigating former CIA head John Brennan, who says the whole thing is...
2: <laughs> well, I think it's
6: kind of silly. I'm certainly willing to talk to Mr. Durham or anybody else who has any questions about what we did during this period of time in 2016.
5: And, Jake, the president is leaving the White House as we speak. We'll let you know if he takes questions from reporters. He's going to spend the weekend in Florida. We can tell you, though, that privately he is furious about the Andrew McCabe news that the former deputy FBI director will not be facing charges. Of course, McCabe, a frequent target of President Trump's, Jake.
1: All right, Boris Sanchez, thanks so much. Uh, And let's talk about this. Uh, And we hear uh, that President Trump is upset that the Justice Department is not going to charge Andrew McCabe, uh, not going to bring criminal charges against him. Uh, but we also heard uh, earlier in the day a former Trump transition team official saying he thinks the very fact that this case has been dragged out until now, so that President Trump could use it as a defense uh, in the impeachment trial, is is, a, is proof that uh, people are doing Trump's bidding. It's very difficult to tell.
7: Well, and then the the Flynn uh, case was reopened as well. So there's you know some uh, some reasons for the, pre- the for the president to be happy. I mean, listen, it, what Barr said yesterday seemed clearly now to be a PR move and it, because his actions really are, um, in line with what the president desires, uh, this McCabe, um, situation notwithstanding.
1: Mm-hmm. What do you think, Maddie? You th- you think Barr is doing whatever Trump wants?
8: Yeah, I mean, this is Barr's M.O. I mean, he was hired to be the kind of cover-up guy because he has form when it comes to covering up for Republican presidents who commit crimes. 30 years ago, under George Bush Sr., when he was the AG, he encouraged President Bush to pardon six people at the heart of Iran-Contra. It was called a cover-up at the time by the independent counsel, Lawrence Walsh. He got this job. He helped him on Mueller. He put out a very misleading statement uh, about the contents of the Mueller report. He prevented the Ukraine whistleblower's complaint from getting to Congress prior to the whole impeachment stuff kicking off. This is what he does. This is what he was hired for. This is why Trump is so delighted to have him and praises him on Twitter. Remember, Trump is the man who said when Jeff Sessions was his attorney general, where's my Roy Cohen, referring to his dodgy personal lawyer from New York in the 1980s. Now he has Bill Barr. And yeah, yesterday's thing, as Laura Ingram admitted, was just staged. What do you think?
3: It's also possible that he doesn't like Trump's tweeting, because like, only 18% of the country likes Trump's tweeting. Right. And he okay. wanted to say that out loud on TV, where his boss would see that, because it might help to be effective in that battle that he's fighting.
1: It does Uh, definitely make his job more difficult. Right. There's (laughs) no question about that. I enjoyed uh,
3: this bar interlude very much. In that moment, he was my spirit animal. Uh, And this is reminiscent, if you'll uh, allow me, this gendered Valentine's Day metaphor. This is like when a girlfriend says, all I want is just a low-key takeout dinner, honey. Don't worry about it. That will make me happy. And then the boyfriend gives her exactly what she asked for and what she said she wanted. A narrator, that did not make her happy. Here we have the Trump official who said very loudly the thing that everybody's been wanting him to say. Mm. Now it has to be some other reason.
1: Okay. Yeah. So uh, so where the, the media is the You're the girlfriend. Clueless Oh, we're the girlfriend. Okay, I got it. I got, I got it. Okay, not the clue. I'm used to being the clueless. We're really God. the pundits. I got it, I got it.
9: <laughs> Yeah, clearly the president did not stop tweeting. He tweeted earlier today that he had every right to intervene in Justice Department matters. So I wouldn't expect the president to actually stop tweeting. I do think that this was, uh, as Jackie said, a PR move by Barr. Uh, Barr has continued to protect the president. He's continued to do the president's bidding. He's continued to be the Roy Cohn that the president has called for. And President Trump was on the radio in an interview just yesterday saying that if he had Uh, Bar from the beginning of his term, that he would not have faced impeachment and all of the other scandals that he's gone through. And somewhere
7: in Alabama, Jeff Sessions. (laughs)
9: It's
8: not just Trump Trump carried on tweeting, making... If it was a deliberate move to try and get him, it failed. But look at what he's tweeting about. He spent, you know, attacking John Kelly. The fact that the president is attacking the former chief of staff who's no longer working there and not attacking the attorney general who supposedly criticized him tells you everything you need to know. This is Trump. If he thinks someone's attacking him, he doesn't stay quiet. His White House press secretary said he's not bothered by any of this. If you think that Bill Barr and Donald Trump have some sort of conflict or gap... You know, I have a certificate from Trump University to sell you.
1: So you talked about the uh, Rudy. I mean, I'm sorry. The president's uh, appearing on Geraldo's radio show Uh, and something else he said on that show was really interesting because he seemed to admit that he did, in fact, send Giuliani to do all this stuff uh, in Ukraine to dig up dirt on the Bidens. Let's roll that sound.
6: Was it strange to send Rudy Giuliani to Ukraine, your personal lawyer? Are You sorry you did that?
4: Not at all. Rudy was a great crime fighter. You know that may be better than anybody. Yeah, and Rudy I, is, I interviewed him. And Rudy was is the first
5: totally
1: to on his game. Rudy's on his game. So was it, strange, was it strange to send Giuliani to Ukraine? Are you sorry you did that? He says not at all. But this is what the president said in November, before impeachment, to Bill O'Reilly.
6: Giuliani is your personal lawyer, so you didn't direct yeah. him to go to Ukraine and do anything or put no, any heat on him. No, I didn't direct him? him. What are we to make of that, Jackie?
7: sounds like the president to me. (laughs) He does this. Once he thinks he once he knows he can get away with something, he will just tweet it out, say it on the radio. And the president doesn't tell the truth until he does.
1: And Justin Amash uh, tweeted that this is a standard Trump progression. I didn't do it. I didn't do it, but I could do it. It I did do it. So what? I did do it, and it was right to do it.
3: Yeah, and that's the exact progression. You're taking the words out of my mouth, which I don't appreciate, Jake. <laughs> it, was Justin, it was Justin Amash who took them out of your mouth just for you. But, no, but I mean, but that's, that's exactly what he does, and this is a yet another case of it. And there will be more, and there will be in tweet form. Because right. there's no guardrails. Right. You know, Congress
1: isn't uh, going to stop him. Because he's a pathological liar. All right, everyone stick around. We've got a lot more to talk about. Can the president really intervene in a legal case whenever he wants? Should he ever? We're going to talk to a former federal prosecutor about that next. Plus... It's your tax dollars that we're supposed to pay for one thing. Instead, they're being used to help President Trump fulfill one of his biggest campaign promises that Mexico was supposed to pay for. Stay with us. We're back with more in our politics lead. Attorney General Bill Barr ordering a review of several high-profile cases, including the one against President Trump's former national security advisor, retired General Michael Flynn, sources tell CNN. This all comes after Barr intervened in the sentencing of Trump crony Roger Stone. And as President Trump insists, he can step in on any case the Justice Department is prosecuting. Joining me now to discuss CNN legal analyst and former federal prosecutor Shan Wu. Also with me, CNN political correspondent uh, Sarah Murray. Shan, let me start with you. How unusual is it that uh, Barr has assigned this outside prosecutor to evaluate the Michael Flynn
4: case and others? Uh, Extremely unusual. Uh, It just isn't done. Uh, When I worked as counsel to Janet Reno, we were extremely careful, even with making an inquiry about an ongoing case in the U.S. Attorney's Office or in one of the sections, to actually have somebody go in and review. He's effectively taking the case away from the U.S. Attorney's Office. That's what he's really doing.
1: And what do you make of uh, Barr, Barr's declaration of independence this week, t- you know, telling President Trump to stop tweeting? Um, You know, and Trump is reportedly angry about
4: Andrew McCabe not being sentenced. Sure. Well, with 2020 hindsight, it seems like it was just camouflage what he was really doing. Uh, I had some doubts about the sincerity at the time, but now it really looks like what he's really saying to Trump is not, I need to be independent of you. What he's really saying to him is, don't worry, I'm asserting control over your cases. That's all he's saying.
1: Yeah, McCabe not being charged, I meant to say. Sarah Barr also argued he wasn't intervening in the Stone case. He was simply resolving a dispute over sentencing, and that's part of his purview as attorney general. Is, is that unusual for an attorney general?
10: I mean, it's not unusual to have disputes, I think, internally at the Justice Department. It's unusual to have those disputes after your prosecutors have already submitted their memo with the judge and then to go out publicly and essentially say, we don't believe in this. The, you know, the initial statements we got from top DOJ officials on background were ex- you know, extremely critical of what the prosecutors had done. The way this all played out is very unusual, unusual especially given the person at the center of this, which is a friend of the president's, yeah. and who is someone that if the president is so upset, if the judge does decide you know she wants to throw the book at him, the president could, still has an avenue to pardon Roger Stone. So it really makes you wonder why Barr wanted to involve himself in that way.
1: So the president says that he has the right to intervene in any case he wants to. Uh, Barr has said, he told ABC News, uh, that as a general note, that's fine when it comes to we we should be looking into this terrorism case, we should be looking into this money laundering case, but not when it comes to political uh, opponents. What's the reality of this? Is it like so much in our country really just actually built on the honor system?
4: I think it is, Jake, uh, because, I mean, theoretically, you know, he might have the power to control things. He's the head of the executive branch, but might doesn't make right. And traditionally, the White House normally is very careful about looking like they're interfering. And that's the foundation upon which the public confidence in the criminal justice system works. If they thought that every political leader that came in got to run the criminal justice system the way they wanted to, nobody would have any trust in it. So it is a question of the honor system. So it's so much in this country. It's just
1: about like, yeah, here's the power, but we know you'll use it right. Well,
10: right, And, and, and that's <laughs> why, you know, the check on this has all become clear, which is, as you said, the public. Right. I mean, the voters are going to be the check on it. I think that the Republican Senate has made it very clear that they don't intend to act as a check on presidential powers. The president believes there is no check on his powers. And so if you're at home and you're watching this and you're not comfortable with that, then, you know, that's your, your answer on what you have, you do in 2020. But that, I think, is the last check left.
1: And, Sarah, Barr also defended the Stone prosecution and the conduct of the attorneys, despite what President Trump had to say.
6: The Stone case was prosecuted while I was attorney general, and I supported it. I think uh, it was established he was convicted of obstructing Congress and witness tampering, and I thought that was a righteous prosecution, Uh, and uh, I was happy that he was convicted.
1: Again, that seems to be something that sounds like President Trump wouldn't like it.
10: It does. He also went on to say he's not a fan of Roger Stone. I think these are all things that he, you know, may... Believe and also may have to say because we've seen all of this uneasiness at the Justice Department. I do think this is obviously cold comfort for any of the prosecutors who worked really hard to bring this case over the finish line to get these convictions against Roger Stone and who subsequently have all removed themselves from this case.
1: All right, Sarah Shan, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Disgraced lawyer Michael Avenatti today found guilty on three charges in connection with extorting millions from Nike. Avenatti rose to fame by representing Stormy Daniels in her case against President Trump. And at one point, toyed with running for president himself. He's got more legal trouble ahead, however. Two more trials, including one for ripping off Daniel's book advance for the case. He faces more than 40 years in prison. Michael Bloomberg facing new attacks for some of his old controversial comments. That's next. Stay with us. The 2020 lead Sanders campaign co-chair Nina Turner throwing a haymaker at Mike Bloomberg at a campaign rally in Durham, North Carolina this afternoon. Take a look.
4: We're not going to do yes, we can, and then all of a sudden have all these Democrats that's bantying President Obama's image on their commercials. Hello, somebody. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, they support supported stop and frisk. Hello, somebody.
1: That somebody is former New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg, who's facing tough criticism on his record in New York City on issues important, in particular to many minority communities, as CNN's Kyung La reports.
11: As Mike Bloomberg rises in national polls, his past is drawing fresh scrutiny. The former New York City mayor apologized again Thursday for the controversial stop and frisk policy used by the NYPD during his time as mayor.
6: What I can do is learn from my mistakes.
11: The city policy allowed police to stop and search anyone for weapons discriminately targeting people of color, a policy Bloomberg supported, as heard in recently resurfaced comments from 2015.
6: In the minority neighborhoods. Yes, that's true why we do it, because that's where all the crime is. And the way you get the guns out of the kids' hands is uh, to throw them against the wall and frisk I defended it looking back for too long because I didn't understand then the unintended pain it was causing to young black and brown families and their kids. His Democratic
11: rivals say his words are just not enough.
6: I think at the end of the day, when people,
5: A, learn about Mr. Bloomberg's record, of stop and frisk in New York City, uh, I think that will change the minds.
11: Older Bloomberg comments also roaring back. In 2008, he appeared to defend redlining, a discriminatory housing practice which denied loans and assistance to people in low-income neighborhoods.
6: It probably all started back uh, when there was a lot of pressure on banks to make loans to everyone.
11: Bloomberg seemed to suggest that ending redlining led to the financial crisis.
6: And then Congress got involved, as local elected officials as well, and said, oh, that's not fair. These people should be able to get credit. And once you started pushing in that direction, banks started making more and more loans where the credit of the person buying the house wasn't as good as you would like.
11: His campaign put out a statement after those comments came to light, saying... Mike saying that something bad, the financial crisis, followed something good, which is the fight against redlining he was part of as mayor. His Democratic rivals pounced.
3: That crisis would not have been averted if the banks had been able to be bigger racists. And anyone who thinks that should not be the leader of our party.
11: Now, Amy Klobuchar is among the candidates who says she wants to debate Mike Bloomberg. She says she can't beat him in the national ad wars, but the debate stage is an even playing field. But Mike Bloomberg does need to meet the need to meet the threshold for one more poll before qualifying for the next debate here in Nevada. Jake.
1: All right, Kyung La in Nevada, the site of the next caucus a week from Saturday. Uh, let's discuss this. So, um, Talil, let me start with you. Bloomberg was New York City mayor through 2013 in the height of stop and frisk. Many New Yorkers are now talking about stories like the following one uh, from Jamal Bowman. He's running for Congress in New York. He tweeted, quote, One day driving home from school, I was pulled over by the cops, taken out of my car, handcuffed, placed in the back of a police car, then released without explanation. Bloomberg has not shown he understands the pain he caused in our community at all. Now, In his apology, Bloomberg says he didn't understand then the unintended pain Stop and Frisk was causing. I mean, the big challenge here is making anybody understand, how could he not understand the pain this was causing? It was headlines in New York City the entire time.
9: Yeah, and his challenge is not to let this overcome his entire campaign. He's trying to introduce himself on a national level with hundreds of millions of dollars in ads. And now that he's rising in the polls, his past is starting to come up. And people are asking very important and very realistic questions about why he pursued this policy for so long, why he defended it for so long. He was defending it in some of these tapes as late as 2015, after courts have threw this out as unconstitutional, and he continued to double down on it and triple down on it. it was only when he began running for president that he apologized. And that apology is coming up short for a lot of people, including people who are uh, directly impacted by this policy. So he's going to have to do more than just apologize, and he has to make sure it doesn't overcome his entire campaign.
7: I mean, I think the big winner of him in a debate could end up being Elizabeth Warren. Is there more a perfect, a more perfect foil uh, for what she's built her candidacy on? I mean, this is I mean, not only what he said about the banks blaming, you know, anyone but the banks for the 2008 financial crisis. Um, Daily Beast reported, uh, he said um, at it uh, and during an interview with the IMF Um that taxing the rich was a bigger problem uh, was was the problem with income inequality. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is not where the base of the Democratic Party is certainly, and he's it's going not where the American people It's are. not where the American people <laughs> are. Uh, so it, how he, he's going to, if he ends up on the debate stage or even if he's on the campaign trail, he's going to have to start asking questions. He can't just wash an ads and walk to the White House.
6: But,
1: uh, Maddie, take a look at this. Bloomberg is launching what he calls Mike for Black America. <sighs> Uh, It's complete with a section on his website with buttons and apparel. Um, What do you think? Uh, uh, I've heard people compare it to blacks for Trump.
8: I mean, he's spending hundreds of millions of dollars on his presidential campaign. Why does he spend some money compensating some of the people who were illegally, unconstitutionally stopped? Uh, on his watch. And he was defending this. You know, he said, 2015, we heard the racist remarks that he made in 2015. To be fair to him, he was 73 then. He's 78 now. Maybe there's been some growth and evolution. He was defending this a year ago. In January 2019, he went to the Naval Observatory and said, Naval Academy, and said in a speech that this helped reduce crime. He only started apologizing when he ran for president, surprise, surprise, and he has to, so much to apologise for—not just racist stop and frisk, but his comments about women, his ridiculously bigoted comments about—he said that women walk past construction sites because they want to be whistled at. He says if women wanted to be uh, respected for their brains, they'd go to a library, not Bloomingdale. I mean, oh, this is the this safe for TV ones. This is the much, safe for TV. So Democrats, I, I'd be mad if the Democrats picked this candidate. There's already a right-wing, racist, misogynist billionaire in the Oval Office. Why swap him for another one? I don't well, get it.
1: And, and Mary Catherine, we should point: this is the first. Time Mike Bloomberg has ever run in a Democratic primary because right. he first ran as a Republican, then he mm-hmm. was an independent, then he was an incumbent uh, mayor when he became a Democrat. So right. he's never had to, to face Democratic voters' votes before.
3: Right. Eventually, the Democratic Party is going to have to go on a first date with this guy whose Instagram profile or dating profile is all they've seen. And like all the angles are great and it's all very edited, but then he's going to have to sit down in person with them. And the answer to the stop and frisk stuff does not inspire. Confidence because he says, well, that was five years ago. That's not really an answer. Um, there's not a ton of charisma there. We will see how he does making an argument that he could be the guy. He also has no not a, obviously challenges with black voters. He does have this relationship that goes back to the gun control stuff with suburban moms that will matter. That is an argument he can make. But whether it all comes together on the ground until I'm they hear careful. about the comments. Yes.
12: <laughs>
1: well, maybe. But, but uh, then there's also the fact that he is a, he's been able to uh, make generous contributions to a lot of politicians and a lot of mayors who and, then endorse him. Who then endorse him? I mean, and, 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 <laughs> look. I mean, I hear what you're saying that it is entirely on TV and Instagram, right. but it's been a, it's been fairly effective so yeah. far. I mean, he's risen in the polls.
9: Yeah, and he is having the strategy where he bypassed the, four, the first four states and he's focusing on Super Tuesday, trying to build a diverse electorate. And if his poll numbers continue to increase, it shows that spending money on TV in places where other candidates cannot spend money, where he has the the game to himself, essentially, could actually put him in in the mix as he tries to win this nomination.
1: Everyone stick where you are, because we're going to keep talking about this. While several Democratic candidates are attacking Bloomberg, Joe Biden is talking a very big game about the upcoming races. His new promise is next. Talk about great expectations. Former Vice President Joe Biden telling supporters that not only is he confident that he will win the South Carolina primary, but that he will finish first or second in the Nevada caucus. And after those races, he says, quote, I will win Pennsylvania. I promise you I will win Michigan. I promise you I will win those Midwest states as well as right now they have me winning in Georgia, Texas, Florida, North Carolina. Let's discuss. That is a very confident statement, Matty, from, from a guy who just finished fourth in Iowa and fifth in New Hampshire.
8: Former vice president of the United States, front runner for much of the last year. Whether it's false, he's not leading in Florida. Michael Bloomberg is leading in Florida, according to a poll today, and Bernie is beating him in Texas for the first time today, and in Nevada, according to polls out today. So Biden is in kind of free fall right now. Uh, some of us warned that this would happen. I remember coming on the show with you, Jake, about yeah. a year ago, and said. There's only one way for him is down from when he nominated. It turns out that to be the front runner, you actually have to win some races, and he's run for president three times, and he's yet to win a primary.
1: Although we should point out, uh, Jackie, that uh, he is still leading in uh, South Carolina in some polls, and... Uh, still enjoys the plurality of support among African-American voters in South Carolina, and they constitute 60 percent of the Democratic Party uh, voters in South Carolina. But it's
7: dwindling. Dwindling, that's true. And and you're seeing people like Tom Steyer, Bernie Sanders, who's been doing a lot of work in South Carolina with the African-American community, siphon away those voters as Biden starts to fall. So that it is his firewall. That's what he keeps. That that is the you know school of thought in the campaign. But you can only say you're going to win so many times. And to your point, you lose when people start. You can you can project confidence all you want, but the results do matter in this case. And when you know voters want to pick a winner and they want to beat Donald Trump, which is what all Democratic voters pretty much are going to tell you right now. They they. they He's gonna he's gonna continue to lose support if he doesn't start winning.
5: What
1: do you think?
3: I mean, I think the issue for him is that Nevada's stuck right there in between the last primaries in South Carolina. If he could go straight to South Carolina and be like, "Look at me! Look what I did!" and make people excited about him, and there's a pop— possibility he could do that. But there's this other contest in between. And if he doesn't play second there, you don't have to win, but you've got to show. And he hasn't shown yet. And that, that support in South Carolina would have to fall off at that point. Obviously, it, it is already to some extent.
1: Biden is obviously uh, starting to really criticize Bernie Sanders, talking about how unrealistic his plans are. A new article in Axios called Bernie Sanders Pipe Dreams highlights the struggles that Sanders might face if he becomes president, where it writes, quote, uh, Medicare for all, the Green New Deal, free college, and other Sanders proposals that excite the Democratic base would likely hit a logjam in the Senate. The article goes on to say, "quote, and that assumes he could get them through the House without major substantive changes, which is no sure thing." Uh, Congresswoman uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez even acknowledged, and she's a big Sanders supporter, uh, that he might have to compromise on Medicare for all; it might end up being a public
9: option along with private health insurance. Yeah, I don't know if that's the best strategy for Biden. I mean, people, people said that president trump was not going to build a wall and have mexico pay for it and people knew that essentially he was not going to be able to deliver on that i don't know that the electorate is where they are looking through policy papers and saying you're not going to be able to get through the filibuster you're not going to be able to get 60 votes for xyz policy it's all about sort of what is emotionally connecting to these voters and Biden currently is not doing it, even though he has support in the African-American community. Bernie right now is doing it with a segment of the population. The rest of the, the vote seems to be split among various moderates who also are struggling to figure out how to connect with voters on a direct revolutionary type connection that Bernie seems to have. And he's raising a lot of money because of it. He's being able to get big crowds. But. I don't know that Biden saying Bernie will not be able to get his policy through because of the filibuster is it's the best way to inspire voters.
1: One last note, I just want to note that uh, Klobuchar Judge Tom Steyer, campaigning in Nevada today, they made appearances at a conference hosted by a prominent Latin American group where they were asked if they could name the president of Mexico. Take a listen.
0: Do you know his name? I forgot. But uh, can you tell me his name? Uh, no. Can you tell me who the president of Mexico
1: is? Yeah, President López Obrador, I hope. <laughs> so Judge is the one who got to correct, uh, President uh, López Obrador, uh, but... Uh, what do you think? I mean, does it matter?
7: I don't know that that matters. Honestly, I, I perhaps perhaps trading perhaps in of the United States, per, perhaps perhaps in Nevada. But I think um, what I, I think there is I think a lot of Democratic voters are making their determination based on things like health care um, and rather than, you know, who can name the president of Mexico.
8: It, it should matter, but it doesn't matter. And the president of the United States thinks Nepal and Bhutan and nipple and button.
7: I also enjoyed that. we just like, I know. Yeah,
1: classic, classic. If you can't get enough election, your excitement, be sure to tune in to CNN for the premiere of the new season of Race for the White House. that starts 9 p.m. on Sunday, only on CNN. Coming up, a spike in the number of coronavirus cases in China as concerns also rise about what secrets China might be keeping from the rest of the world. Stay with us. In our health lead now, the novel coronavirus is spiking in China, both in new deaths and also new cases. And this comes as concerns about a missing citizen journalist who had been doing critical reporting from the epicenter of the outbreak continue to grow. Chen Chuxi's friends and family believe he's being silenced for criticizing Chinese authorities' response to the outbreak and for posting videos of medical centers that seem to be short on supplies and overwhelmed With Patients, with us, Rebecca Katz, the director of Georgetown University's Center for Global Health Science and Security. Thanks so much for joining us. I appreciate it. My pleasure. So I want to ask, the CDC offered to help China with the coronavirus outbreak. That was six weeks ago. The CDC says uh, that the Chinese still have not accepted the offer. Um, Do you think that the world knows everything that the Chinese government knows about this outbreak?
12: Probably not. Um, It's really hard to know. It's hard to um, it's hard to know what we don't know but um, we it the lot of the information was a little bit slow to come out there's new information that's being released every day and I think the the World Health Organization is scheduled to arrive in China this weekend um, with a with a team that will be working alongside a team from Beijing and at that point hopefully we'll be able to maybe ground truth some of the information that's coming out of the regime and to get hopefully some more answers.
1: What do you want to know that you're not sure we know? The number of cases, how quickly it, the virus travels?
12: Um, well, I think we have a decent sen- sense of the number of laboratory confirmed cases. We, there's still so much we don't know about this virus. We don't know about, asym- we don't have good information about asymptomatic transmission. So we don't know if people are transmitting the virus when they're not showing external signs of being sick. We don't know the case fatality rate, so we, we don't actually know how deadly this is, in part because we don't, we don't know what that denominator is. We don't know how many people have become ill.
1: Is this normal for the Chinese, uh, the, the government, for, to not share this kind of information? I mean, there was an epidemic there before the SARS outbreak, and, and you've said that you think they're handling this better than they handled that.
12: I think a lot has changed in the 17 years since SARS emerged where the the Chinese came under a lot of criticism for not sharing information about the outbreak. In that time, they have uh, completely revamped their public health infrastructure, their way of thinking. But it is still a um, it is against the law for uh, an official to share disease surveillance information outside of official channels.
1: So here's a very basic question that you probably get uh, everywhere you go uh, outside of work. How worried should Americans be? So, uh, coronavirus has now come to the United States. There have been no fatalities in the U.S., but there are confirmed cases. How how scared should we be?
12: I wouldn't be scared, but I would definitely be concerned. I think, it, remember, in about six weeks, we've seen the rise of cases go from really a handful to over 60,000. So it is quite possible that we're going to see many more cases in the United States. It's also quite possible that this might just become um, embedded in our communities. We really have no idea yet. So it's something that uh, it, Americans should be aware of and be and keep a watchful eye out for. But it's not something to panic about right now.
1: Wash your hands a lot, though.
12: Wash your hands a lot.
1: All right, Rebecca Katz, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Forget Mexico. It looks like we're going to play pay for President Trump's wall at the expense of... The military. We'll show you what I'm talking about next.
0: uh,
8: We're building that wall. We're going to build the wall. We'll build the wall. We are going to build a great border wall. We will build the wall. Mexico is going to pay for the wall. We will build the wall. And you know who's going to pay for the wall? Mexico.
1: It's true, Trump is starting to get his wall, but Mexico is decidedly not paying for it. You are. The Trump administration diverting close to $4 billion from Pentagon funds, taxpayer money. Congress specifically appropriated these funds to buy fighter jets and ships and aircraft and National Guard equipment. But instead, the president is taking it and going he's going to use it to fund his wall. And as CNN's Barbara Starr reports, the move is not sitting well with lawmakers, even some Republicans who say this diversion of funds is unconstitutional.
4: It's pretty impressive.
2: President Trump showing off the progress of building his border wall.
4: Right now we have 122 miles of wall that's been built.
2: The latest plan to help pay for it is to divert nearly $4 billion of Pentagon spending, much of it from weapons programs, to keep going with one of the president's most controversial priorities. The new funding proposal is facing a buzzsaw of bipartisan congressional opposition. The ranking Republican on the House Armed Services Committee says the funding shift is unconstitutional. The
5: Constitution says it's Congress's role to raise and maintain, provide uh, for armies and navies and other military forces. What's happened here is they didn't get Congress's approval. They just moved money around.
2: And even as lawmakers say border security is important...
5: So are the priorities of providing what our troops need to fight and win America's wars.
2: The money is coming out of critical programs such as the advanced F-35 fighter jet and the armed Reaper drone program, both considered vital to war fighting.
4: Well, I'd say this much border security is national security and national security is our mission. Uh, the action we took is, uh, is legal under the law.
2: Some of these defense dollars are being put into DOD's Drug Interdiction Fund to help justify building the wall by stopping drug smuggling. But one former Homeland Security official of says not so fast.
0: The wall is a stationary object that's easy to, to defeat. And traffickers will use boats, they will use aircraft, they will use anything. So a wall is ineffective to stopping illegal drugs coming into the United States.
2: Now, much of the president's wall that he talks about, of course, is upgrades and improvements on existing barriers. But with the total effort having a price tag of about 11 billion dollars, the worry now is that he sees the Pentagon as the cash register to pay for it. Jake.
6: All right,
1: Barbara Starr at the Pentagon for us. Thank you so much. You can tune in this Sunday morning for CNN State of the Union. Our guests, Democratic presidential candidates Pete Buttigieg and Senator Amy Klobuchar, plus the vice president's chief of staff, Mark Short, as as well as South Carolina Congressman James Clyburn. It's all at 9 a.m. and noon Eastern on Sunday, only on CNN. Follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at Jake Tapper. Tweet the show at The Lead CNN. Our coverage on CNN continues right now. Happy Valentine's Day.